You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of this show. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I am joined once again by a special guest. Her name is Cora Hall. You may remember her. I believe she was the last guest host we had here on this uh, specific podcast, Lady Vol Basketball, for your podcast to talk about Lady Vol's basketball. So Cora of the Knox News covers women's athletics, uh, Tennessee women's athletics for the Knox News. Cora, thank you so much for coming on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. A lot has uh, happened, and we are here to talk about an undefeated Lady Vols team, so that's exciting. Yeah, and kind of a, to me, a surprise, I, not necessarily because of uh, Kansas and Oklahoma State, because I, I thought the Lady Vols would win both those, but we haven't spoken since Tennessee played Texas either, and that game was um, all kinds of exciting, and in Thompson Bowling Green, it, it felt like, I, I said this to Gene uh, Henley, my usual co-host on the, the main show, um, after the game happened and we were recording a podcast and I said, you know, it felt a lot like watching a, a Lady Vols game of old in terms of the intensity, the the national spotlight kind of being on that game as well. But I, I more specifically, Cora, want to get you on here to talk about what happened this past weekend as well for the Lady Vols being over in Las Vegas, Nevada for the South Point Thanksgiving shootout. They played Kansas and Oklahoma State and came away with two wins, and one of them was just a resounding win against Oklahoma State, which I didn't see coming. Uh, probably, I don't even say probably easily, to me, the Lady Vols' best offensive performance of the season, of the regular season, against a team that had, coming into that game, a, a statistically had just about as good of a defense as the Lady Vols had in terms of uh, points per game allowed and, and field goal percentage allowed and whatnot. And then Lady Vols go out and score 80 in that game and hold an Oklahoma State offense that wasn't great, but held them to 55 points. But it marks, again, another game where the Lady Vols held their opponent to under 60 points in a game. They've done that every game this year except for that game against Texas, which obviously, you know, went to overtime. But still, Cora, I, I know <laughs> I know the easy answer here. I, I, I don't want to talk about her just yet because we'll, we'll talk about her here in a second in more detail. To me, the biggest takeaway, clearly, from the tournament in Las Vegas was Jordan Horston. And she's been the biggest takeaway for the Lady Vols. For me, the first you know month of the season here, she's been absolutely phenomenal. I want to talk a little bit more about her here in a, in a second. Besides Jordan Horston and, and her phenomenal play and, and racking up double doubles and almost a triple double, what what were a couple other kind of big takeaways you had from this trip to Vegas and what you saw from the Lady Vols? Yeah, I mean, I personally, after watching that Kansas game, felt like that should have been a blowout, like the Oklahoma State game. Um, you know, they had a, a pretty poor shooting night, and I felt like I was watching people miss jumpers or, you know, shots that I've seen them make already this season. So I feel like Kansas, they, they just had a, a pretty rough shooting night. I mean, they, they were getting opportunities, and so it was just, I think, a little self-inflicted that they couldn't pull away in that game and you know I asked Kelly about it after the game you know what do you guys need to do to be able to put that game away and you know for her it was they're putting them on the line too much you know they're missing their own free free throws a little too much which you know makes sense um but I, I felt like they were just kind of missing some shots that they usually be making and if they make those then it's a totally different game and and I definitely felt like they were 
by far the better team of both of those games. Um, I was I was happy to see that they they did that in the Oklahoma game because I think they needed that. They needed a game <laughs> where they they won it definitively. They pulled away. They could get bench players in, get more players minutes, um, give some people a rest because it's been a long beginning of the season for some of these players playing a lot of minutes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think just overall, both of those games probably could have been blowouts in my the, from what I saw. Um, but I think it's good that Saturday they got that offense going and they were making those shots and proved that there there is offense without Ray Burrell and they can do this without her, you know, no matter when she comes back. But I would say, you know, I don't think Gray's out for the season and it's just kind of a matter of when she gets back into the game. Yeah, aside again, aside from Jordan Horston, who who offensively to you um, seemed to take another step? Because I, I, I look at some of the, just looking at the box scores, you mentioned, you know, the Kansas game um, was not very pretty from a shooting perspective. And I, I, unfortunately, because it was on flow hoops and it was over Thanksgiving weekend, I didn't get to watch the actual game live or either the games live and had to you know rely on the highlights and stuff. But it seemed to me um, on the Lee Vols team, excuse me, that it wasn't just Jordan Horseman. Clearly she, she was superb and, and has been superb this whole season, but it seemed like Alexis die kind of got a little bit going. Um, it, it seemed like she was somebody, at least in the Oklahoma state game, she was someone that was very close to a double, double in that game, 11 points, eight boards, five of nine from the floor. But I also noticed, you know, Tamari Key didn't have a, a bad time over in Vegas either. 8.7 rebounds, three blocks against Kansas. And then she comes out with 12 points, 11 boards. Again, another double-double for her as well. And and two blocks. And she was perfect from the free throw line in that game and five of six from the floor. So I also thought Tess Darby played well when she was out there. And I think Jordan Walker should get a, a mention as well. So I, I didn't know, you know, aside from Horston, was there any specific player or players that you thought kind of took another step forward offensively because that, that's been the biggest issue as you've said is that can they fight offense outside Ray Burrell well they found it in Horston but I also think they've they've found a little bit of something with some of these other players too yeah I would say Jordan Walker definitely took a step offensively this season already because um, I mean last season you know it, it's always hard coming in your first year uh, as a transfer and getting used to a new system you're, you're the point guard so you're also not getting all the scoring opportunities you want anyways you're you're finding them for the shooters so you know for her last year she wasn't scoring a ton of points but this year she really has um stepped into that role a little bit especially because you know you've got um you know jordan horson taking over point guard at times you've got brooklyn miles who can take over point guard and she's done a great job so she can slide over to the shooting guard and get more opportunities more looks which i think is really important because we've seen she can shoot it from three and, and they really need that um I mean, Tess Darby had a couple really good games uh, shooting-wise. Um, but for me, I mean, Saturday, Sarah Puckett really looked like she looked comfortable out there. She looked confident. I thought she looked like she was actually looking for her shots now um, instead of, you know, taking what comes to you. And I was a freshman. You're, you're coming in, obviously, learning a new system. And you're a freshman, so you're not thinking to uh, take all those shots. And I think she's kind of settled into that um, – you know, flow of, okay, they want me to take shots. Like I need to start looking for that. And I thought she did a really good job of that and it paid off. She scored 11 points. Um, and there was, you know, a shot where she dribbled 
had to pick up her dribble and then just pulled back and shot it. And it was, she was almost at the three point line. And I was like, I wouldn't have seen, I would never have expected her to do that the first game of the season. So that's a huge plus for them that she is her offensive um, in scoring production is catching up with the minutes she's playing because it's great to have freshmen who can put in good minutes and who can play great defense. You can rebound the ball, but if you are going to have two of them play 20 to 30 minutes and neither of them score very much, that's going to be hurt you down the line. So for her to really pick up that scoring is really important for them. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, Sarah Puckett got to play a lot of good minutes in Las Vegas. She played 28, actually, against Kansas. Uh, did make a three, but was four of 11 from the floor, eight points, six boards in that game. Uh, also had three assists in that game. But as you mentioned, um, played in 19 minutes against Oklahoma State. Four seven from the floor, was 11 points, two boards, and assist in that game as well. So, yeah, that, that's a really good point. If they can get Sarah Puckett, like you said, feel more comfortable, and it's just going to happen. She's a freshman. She's going to, you know, progress and she's going to learn and, and whatnot too but you know, if she can keep coming along like that that's going to add another depth piece a bench piece you can feel comfortable putting in to get some offense uh for the lay of alls which they they desperately need as many bench contributors on an offensive standpoint as they can find even when even when ray bro comes back they still need you know the more depth you have the better clearly um so yeah let's that, let's get to jordan horston because that's that's obviously to me the biggest um star of the lady of all so far um, this season, especially with Ray Burrell being out, and I don't know that we would have seen necessarily this step from her if Ray had been, at, you know, had been present the entire season to this point. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise for Lady Vols once we get to February, March, that Ray missed the first, you know, month or so of the season because it allowed Jordan Horston to step up. Because man, Cora, she has been phenomenal. She was a rebound and an assist shy of a triple-double against Oklahoma State, finished with 17-9-9, and and then against Kansas uh, on Friday, she did get another double-double with 14 points, 11 rebounds, also added two assists and a block. She has just been, I mean, talk about stepping up when you're needed most. She has reminded me in a way of, I, I said it, uh, I want to say if I, I may have said it to you, I, I may have said it to Gene, I may have said it to uh, Ryan, who I had on as a, as a guest last week, but whoever I said it to, I said he, she definitely seems like she has taken notes. She took notes last year and the year before last from Renaya Davis because she, she's not, you know, you're never going to fully replace Renaya, but to me, she's doing her darndest to replace Renaya in terms of the way she rebounds, the way she scores, the way she just kind of is creating better this year. I, I think she has taken a huge step in, in core. I don't, as of us, us recording this podcast, your article hasn't coming out, but you, you told me that you have an article in, in Knox News that's going to be coming out about Jordan Horston. So you can preview, preview that here a little bit, but you, your whole point in the article is that um, it shouldn't surprise people that Jordan Horston is playing the way she is and that she's doing as good as she is right now. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but I mean, I think sometimes people forget that she was the number two you know, player in her class. She was the number one guard in her class and she came very came in very highly touted and, and you know she came in with two phenomenal scores, right? You have Ray Burrell and Renaya Davis <clears throat> as she comes in and she has to, you know, play point guard as a freshman. So in she had hundred and forty three assists her freshman year and that was fifth in the SEC as a freshman. And that's well, that was something that really stood out to me when I was looking at her career at Tennessee is she's always been a very good offensive player, even though she wasn't the leading scorer. And even her freshman year, I mean, she averaged 
10 points a game around there and had, you know, spurts where she would be scoring like 19, 20, 14 points a game. So that scoring ability has always been there. It's just that it's it's looked a little differently offensively for her the last two years because you have those go-to shooters in Renaya and Ray. And, you know, they knew coming into this year that Renaya's gone, right? That was a huge conversation. Who's replacing her? Who's replacing her? How do you make up for that? And, you know, something that I just keep going back to is that, you know, Kelly said they're not going to replace her. You can't do that with one person. And that she was the kind of player that could bail you out sometimes when you needed it. And not that that's a bad thing, but losing that has led the team overall to grow a little more because you don't have that, right? Everyone has to contribute. There's not that fail-safe of, oh, well, if we need it, like, you know, Renata's going to drop, you know, 20 points tonight, you know? So I think in a, in a way, you know, it was, it, was, it was good that they didn't have her going to this season. And then, you know, with Ray out, it, that became so much more to, to make up for. And for that point to really go home of everyone has to fill that hole. So, you know, Jordan just recognized that and she's a junior now. And I think, you know, I, everyone in the beginning of the season was like talking about Jordan Horson, her confidence or the way she's playing. And, you know, when I talked to her, I'd be like, you know, what's different? What'd you do this off season? Why is everyone buzzing about you like this? And she's like, honestly, like, I haven't changed a thing. Like, I think I've heard her say that multiple times at this point. She's like, I'm not doing anything different. Like, I'm the same player, basically. I haven't changed my habits. Like, it's just there. she's asking – she's being asked to do something different this year. She doesn't need to be the one leading team in assists. You know, she doesn't – she still might. She very well probably will. But, you know, on top of that, they're like they need her to score they need her to rebound they need her to run the offense they need her to do everything and she has just stepped up and done it and I think that's just the kind of player she is and always has been um because if you look back at her you know high school career she did she had three state championships you know that's not something that everybody does so I think everyone hopefully will like this article (laughs) I (laughs) I it opened my eyes a lot to the player that she is and so I hope it opens the eyes of the fans to who she is because I think it's easy to see a five-star recruit like her, number two in her class, come in and and then just see her for the, like the mistakes of the turnovers her freshman year or, you know, when she only scored four points against UConn. Like, it's easy just to pick those out and not realize how impressive 143 assists as a freshman is. You know, fifth in the SEC, which is a very competitive conference. So um, I think she's always been there. The Jordan Horson we're seeing, she's just been present in different ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And <laughs> you mentioned about her, uh, she may lead the team in assist again this year. She currently is. Uh, she has 21 assists, and Jordan Walker has 13. So she is currently already still leading the team in assists. And a lot of that, you know, nine assists on, on Saturday, uh, that's a large chunk of it. It's almost half of her assist total on the year. But still, to your point, like, she's she's doesn't feel like she needs to do that anymore. You, you have players who are capable point guards who are capable of handling the ball and being effective there and you know Horson doesn't feel like you know that she has to absolutely do that all the time but it, she he, her stepping up has been just incredible and I, I, I'm curious to see what she does when Ray Burrell does come back because if you have Ray come back and, and you have kind of a, a similar to what you had last season with Tennessee with 
you know, obviously Renaya being your main offense, but Ray did kind of come along and, and was a really good number two option in a lot of games last year for the Lady of Alls. Corey, you know, we there was no, I think you said it uh, on Twitter, if I remember correctly, you were, or Maria Cornelius, one of the two said that basically the update on Ray Burrell is, is there is no update. So we don't know anything still right now about her, her status moving forward. But whenever she does come back, because I don't, like you said, I don't think she's out for the year. What, you know, what do you expect horses to do? Is she still going to be the person that's kind of going to be the do it all? Because I don't think she's going to, you know, she's not going to be asked to go out there and score uh, 17, 18, 19, 20 points a, a night because, you know, you have someone else who can take that pressure off. You have Ray out there. So is this a case of does Jordan have to try to find another role and she's kind of, you know, having to switch midseason into a different kind of position on the team? Or is it just a, a matter of you slot in Ray and, and figure it out? So I, I just basically, what do you think happens when Ray does come back? Is it, does it, I obviously think the team is better. I don't see how it makes the team worse in any, any regard at all. But what do you see the dynamic shifting uh, for Ray and Jordan uh, when Ray does come back? Um, it's hard to tell, you know, because the team was the offense was so different with Renaya last year, mm-hmm. and we've seen a completely different offense, obviously, without Renaya or Ray this season. Um, I don't really think they're too focused like as a team of like who plays what role I think they're more of just we just want to win and whatever it takes to do that they're going to do and who if that means Brooklyn Miles is playing and facilitating plays and even if she's not scoring putting in really solid minutes on defense and and you know helping run the offense so that way Jordan Horston can score or that way Jordan Walker can score like that's what they're going to do so I just I think Ray coming back is only a positive. You know, she adds so much veteran leadership. She adds scoring. She adds a lot of talent. And she knows she's been there, done that in any situation. So that's just going to make this offense more explosive, you know? Like, I don't I don't really know how that's going to look. I don't really think Jordan Horson will mind taking some of the um, <laughs> weight off her back offensively, mm-hmm. uh, especially just as I've gotten to know her. She doesn't seem like very concerned about how much she's scoring or what she's doing as long as they win. I think that's all that that player cares about is winning. So like, if that means she scores 10 points a game and has like 12 assists and it's all the right, I don't think she could care any less. Nice. And that, that is the exact type of teammate that you you want. That, that is exactly the kind of player you want if you're Kelly Harper as well. And before I, I, I move on to kind of talk about the this, this schedule upcoming, you know, Corey, you get to go to the press conferences. You get to, whether it's Zoom or whatever, you get to hear Coach Harper after every game and then get to, you know, ask her questions and, and just kind of get, you know, her feelings on, on the team and stuff. What, ha- what has stood out to you in the last couple of pressers with Coach Harper? Because I, I know from the few times when I was still, you know, covering Tennessee athletics as a full-time job, you know, when she was hired and different few times I got to talk to her and, and also just have my writers as an editor covering Billy Evals and stuff and just interacting kind of uh, tangentially through them, I guess, of, of how she interacts with the media. I always, I, I always think she does a really good job with the media. It doesn't just give you a bunch of coach speak. In your opinion, from things she said, you know, how does she feel about this team? Because it seems like to me, she was extremely high on this team coming into the year, and then you saw the offensive struggles, and you're thinking, well, you know, <laughs> what's happening here? But the defense was there, and now it seems like the offense has come along. So what, what's been, what have been some of the big takeaways, in your opinion, from what Kelly Harper has said 
you know, to the media after practices, after games about the team and kind of, you know, the messages she's trying to send them right now? I'm pretty sure after every game so far, she has said in her opening statement how proud she is of the team and, you know, how happy she is with their progression. And, um, you know, as a coach, when you lose your leading scorer the first game of the season, things get a little bit more difficult coaching-wise. And, you know, how do you adjust? How do you make sure you're setting up your team to get its best shot at winning when everything changed like that? So, I mean, she's just been very... <laughs> always been very proud of the effort from her team and, and the fact that they're getting these wins and the fact that they're still undefeated. Um, yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> that's about like the only thing that comes to mind, like from the top of my head mm-hmm. is she's just very, um, proud of them. And, and, and she's, she's, you know, acknowledged that they're, they're really hanging their hat on defense sometimes. And, you know, that's something I think she said, after Oklahoma because uh you know they crushed them on the boards they played really good defense still and she said you know those are two things that you can always do right um whether your offense is good whether it's subpar you can always rebound you can always play good defense so that's something that I think the team is taking a lot of pride in and you know as they should they (laughs) they they're probably one of the best defensive teams in the country one of the best rebounding rebounding teams in the country so and, and I think, you know, that's definitely why they're 6-0 and right now, going through that tough stretch at the beginning of the season. Well, two more topics here. I want to look ahead to the rest of the non-conference schedule and then also have a question about a recruit for Tennessee, or I guess technically a signee that I know that I don't think, Cora, you and I have talked about here on the podcast, but um, I'll get to her in a second. But you look ahead to the rest of the non-conference schedule for the Lady Vols. They play... Uh, host to Tennessee Tech, just like the men's team just did uh, here on Wednesday, December 1st, to kick off the new month of December. Then you go over to Blacksburg and play Virginia Tech. You host Georgia State. You host Stanford. You host ETSU and Chattanooga. And then you start SEC play. I look at that schedule, and I think, you know, there's a real possibility somehow, because I I didn't think this was possible um, at the very beginning of the year, especially when you lost Ray Burrell. And I, I thought this team was going to be good, but you, you lose Ray, and you're thinking, well, what's going to happen now? But still, I didn't think it was possible. You're looking at a real, real possibility that this Lady Vol team has one, maybe zero, but I, I think one, possibly two, but <laughs> one loss, really, on the non-conference slate heading into SEC play. And that would be phenomenal. Obviously, I'm chalking up the loss that could happen against Stanford. But again, Stanford hasn't looked like the, you know, like the team that were last year that won the title. They, they've been beaten already here in the early going but they've also been beaten by good teams so Cora looking ahead here how likely do you think it is that the Lady Vols could actually enter SEC play when they play um, Alabama in Knoxville on December 30th undefeated because it to me it's a real possibility and obviously anything's possible but I mean that Stanford team again they've looked very beatable they look like a team that I, you know, I don't know if the Lady Vols can do it, but you're in Thompson Bowling. It's December 18th on a Saturday. I think that's going to be a, a pretty packed arena for that game because I, I, I may even try to go to that one, actually. I don't know that I have anything happening that Saturday. That may be a game I try to get tickets to and go see because that's going to be a fun game, I think, and it's going to be on ESPN2, so if you can't go, it's on a, a primetime network. It, Cord, that, that game is, is, to me, the biggest non-conference game for Lady Vols outside of UConn because clearly that's the biggest one. But outside of UConn, this is the biggest one. It's in Knoxville. It's in a, a pretty good time slot at 515 Eastern, ESPN2. 
that's the one I'm circling. But I think they beat Virginia Tech. I think obviously they beat the other uh, smaller schools: Tennessee Tech, Georgia State, ETSU, Chattanooga. In your opinion, what's the probability they they end up being undefeated in non-conference play before the start of SEC play? Because I'm looking at it and saying it's fairly high. I I again I would if I had to bet right now I would say Stanford beats the Lady Vols, but that's not again guarantee. Uh, not with how Stanford's played early in the season right now. Yeah, probability was a was the unit in AP stats that I almost failed, so I'm not. <laughs> that. Um, so I'm asking the wrong person. I'm sorry. Um, wrong person, but I think honestly, anyone except for South Carolina is pretty beatable. Hmm. The top ten this last week. Granted that Maryland had some people out. I will give them that. Everyone's beating each other. Like truly, everyone is beating each other. I think I saw on ESPN. The top 10 has been 52 and 11, which is like the worst record of top 10 in like years. Wow. So it's just like, it's a good thing in my opinion. Like, you know, the parody of women's basketball is just better and better every year. And there's so much competition. There's so much talent. And it's not just a couple teams running the table anymore. So that's a good thing. Um, and Tennessee still came out unscathed. And those wins against South Florida and Texas look better by the week. Um they truly do and I think everyone still until they beat Stanford was underestimating South Florida so I'm glad that they you know got that under their belt and got everyone to kind of pay attention to them a little because even after Tennessee beat them I was like that team is really good um and and if they would have had Sydney Harvey in at the end for that last second uh play that you drop for the three-pointer I, I that might have gone in and that could have been a different game so they're a team to play uh, to watch, sorry. Um, in regards to the Stanford game, Stanford this season is a lot different just because, you know, you lose your starting point guard, you lose a veteran point guard. That's obviously going to affect your offense. But um, I think they'll be in they'll be in, in uh, March Madness shape when the time comes for sure. But, you know, in December, I feel like that's anybody's game, um, especially with – the Tennessee Lady Vols, you know, the stretch they've had to start the season, you know, I think if they don't have this start, I don't know how within reach that game is, but it feels very within their reach right now. Um, So, I mean, (laughs) there's a decent chance they end up undefeated going into SEC play, and we'll just have to see. But I think that Stanford game is is definitely one to be watching. It's going to be a close one. I don't think either team has any sort of advantage going into it. I think they both, you know, I think Stanford has a couple better wins than Tennessee at this point, but that's just because of the schedule they have. Um, but they also have a couple losses. So, yeah. Yeah. To run down their schedule really quickly. Um, they did lose to Texas, uh, the second game of the, of the regular season for them, 61 56. Uh, they did end up beating Indiana, which was a top five team at the time, 69 66, lost to USF 57-54, and like you said, Maryland did have some players out, but still crushed Maryland almost by 20, 86-67 on Saturday over in uh, the Bahamas. And yeah, you're, you're right. Honestly, Cora, that win for the Lady Vols over USF, you could make a pretty solid argument that's actually their most impressive win. Not, not Texas, but USF, because you look at what USF's done. Uh, they lost by three to Tennessee. They crushed Syracuse. They lost by seven to UConn. They beat uh, then number nine Oregon by nine. Then they beat then number seven Stanford by three. 
Uh, so, I mean, they, they've get racked up some really impressive. I mean, they, they might have some of the more impressive wins in women's hoops right now. I mean, that, that's two top ten wins, and you hung tough with a, another top five team in UConn, and then another top 15 team in Tennessee you hung tough with and really had a real good shot of winning that game. So uh, that USF team, they're going to be dangerous. I, I think I, I was a tweet about them over the weekend, and somebody tweeted at me and said that's a team that uh, they're going to be a dark horse come March. That that's a team that is a, could be a dark horse candidate to to make it to the Final Four. And I was like, I'm, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, they they've been very impressive to me um, this early season. So yeah, the Lady Vols schedule. Where do you knew it was going to be tough, and it's proving to be maybe even tougher than uh, we were expecting it to be. But yeah, no, that that Stanford game, I'm excited for that one a, a lot. And again, I may try to go to that game. That's here in what not even three weeks. It's like two weeks, two week, I guess two and a half weeks at this point. So. I, I may try to get to that one myself. But Cora, before we get you out of here, I, I wanted to mention you had written, I think it was a few weeks ago, it may have been right before we at first had you on here as a guest on the podcast, uh, but I wanted to talk about Tennessee five-star signee, uh, Justin, uh, excuse me, uh, Justine uh, Pissot, from, I, I totally butchered her last name, I'm sure, uh, from up in New Jersey, five-star who's a class of 2022 signee for the Lady Vols. Uh, I've seen some of her film that I've seen different things that different coaches, not just Kelly Harper has said about her. But to me, she looks definitely like the real deal in terms of she absolutely seems like a five-star and a, and a player who can come in here and uh, have a, a really good career at Tennessee. But you, you had an article where it had, you know, talked about what Kelly Harper had to say. I'm sure you've seen her film and, and stuff as well. What are your early impressions? You know, again, she's not been on campus or anything like that, but what are your impressions of uh, Tennessee five-star signee and, and, in this class in 2022 yeah i actually haven't been able to watch her film yet but i have you know seen stats seen you know reports on her and you know when you got a six foot four guard forward coming in that's only a good thing because like we've seen with jordan horson a guard with height is very hard to guard and you know she's a good scorer she's got good three-point shooting um I, I don't know. I think she's going to be a really exciting player right from the jump. And, you know, I think she's a huge get for Kelly Harper. And, and the fact that she even got her commitment a year ago, last year in October, um, and, and that's impressive to me for Kelly to have come in and in her second season barely uh, get a, a five-star like that. So, well, she was actually a four-star when she committed. So she's gotten better, actually, mm-hmm. since her commitment, which is a great sign. Um, but I think, you know, she seems really high on Tennessee as a whole. So that's also a good sign. And, you know, that's, I think that's part of the challenge now with recruits is getting them to buy into your program, not just college basketball, because the transfer portal is a beast. Um, and I think it's a good thing. I think players should have more freedom in transferring, but that just makes it more important for you to make them buy into your program, program specifically and, and your team and you as a coach. So I think it's a good thing overall, um, but, you know, She's going to be a great player right from the start. I think so. Like you said, she's a, a six foot four guard type player. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's insane. That, that that's not the type of skill set you're you see every day. And that's I mean that's I mean Jordan Horson six two. So I mean right. for and for example, she, yeah. sorry, she grew two inches over the last year. That's she was six two when she committed four star, and now she's six four. So that's a great sign. Yeah, I mean that's that's someone who's almost like Emily Saunders height, but has the athleticism and skill set of a guard. I mean that's wow. I, I can't wait to see her play. Um, 
I think she's going to be, at least in orange and white, because I think she's going to be a really, really good player. Uh, but, Corey, you've been fantastic again, just like we had you on last time. And like we had said last time, too, please go follow Cora on Twitter if you haven't already. She's at Cora Hall with three L's on Twitter. And, Cora, we mentioned uh, one of your articles, I think maybe two, actually, here on the show on Knox News. But go ahead and let everybody know uh, what you have come down the pipe, anything that you have currently public, uh, published. And, like we mentioned, that Jordan Horsey piece coming out, so be on the lookout for that. But, you know, plug your stuff and, and let everybody know where they can interact with you. Yeah, I mean, you can always find my work on Knox News in the sports and women's basketball section. Um, I just did a story on Kean Green, who's a graduate transfer from Liberty. She came here last year, tore ACL in December, unfortunately. So that meant she was going to be here another year, and she finished her master's. So she is studying for her PhD, which I have never heard of a student athlete studying for their doctorate. So that was a really fun story just to get to dig into her story a little bit more and from a, a lot different angle than we've heard. So go check that out. Um, that Jordan Horson piece will hopefully come out this week and I'll always keep everyone updated with game coverage and, and whatever news. My Twitter is probably the first place you'll find it. Yeah, Keegan Green is she is something else, like you said. She is also a player I have really been just mm-hmm. excited by. So watch watch out for her too. I put her in my season predictions that she was going to be a big big player for them this year so i might be right on that hey, she's she's been really good at rebounding and she's she's had some really good moves in the post and I, like you said i've, I've been um i'm not even surprised because like you said i, I kind of circled her as a player who could be maybe an x-factor in a way but someone that was gonna gonna make a difference as long as she stayed healthy and, and so far uh, she has been healthy she's shooting 50 percent from the field um in the the first few games of the season here i want to say what she has three-ish rebounds per game and six points per game. That's just a very, very solid contributions off the bench right there when you're averaging um, – you're only playing like 10, 15 minutes a game and you're averaging six points and three boards. That's very solid uh, coming off the, the bench there for the lay of balls. And, yeah, studying your doctorate while playing, I, I, can't, th- I can't think of a single other person that, that it could apply to. I, mean, I, I guess technically – I don't know what John Fulgerson's doing, but he's been at UT for forever, so he's got to be doing some kind of – definite like long-term post-grad uh, studies as well because he and, and Green have both been in school for such a long time that you got to find something to study while you're there in order to be eligible so uh, yeah, yeah Kean's a I, I like her a lot too and she seems like a really good personality uh, a person to talk to as well but Cora it's been fantastic having you on once again we'll definitely have to have you on again in the future uh, thank you so much for being on the Lay of All Basketball Fever podcast thank you for having me it was a pleasure Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 